Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast. I'm Hari Arkley, tech editor at Forbes India. And in these podcasts, we'll bring you conversations with entrepreneurs who are finding opportunities in solving a variety of problems in multiple areas, from agriculture and satellite imagery to digital finance and cryptocurrencies. We will also talk to investors from venture capital companies and other folks who are playing a significant role in India's maturing startup scene. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. Stay safe and happy listening. So today's uh, entrepreneur comes from a very interesting field. Uh, Spacefaring in India uh, has been sort of uh, predominantly due to the exemplary efforts of uh, the Indian Space Research Organization. And uh, more recently, uh, a new breed of entrepreneurs are coming to the fore, uh, you know, who could potentially take uh, India's uh, space technology and spacefaring to the to the next level. And uh, so we have one such entrepreneur who's at the leading edge of this new effort uh, out of India. Uh, meet uh, Aves Ahmad. Many of you might know him. He's co-founder of a company called uh, Pixel, uh, along with his friend Kshitich Khandelwal. And uh, uh, Aves has a master's degree in uh, mathematics. And uh, before Pixel, he has also worked on the uh, engineering team in uh, Hyperloop, which could potentially one day be a high-speed transportation with you know, uh, levitating pods uh, zipping through near-vacuum tubes and so on. So that's a different discussion. Anyway, so uh, welcome uh, to this discussion, Aves, and uh, let's get started right away. So you build uh, satellites at uh, Pixel. So tell us a little bit about what kind of satellites, what will they be used for? Sure. So we're building uh, earth imaging satellites, but more specifically, these are called hyperspectral earth imaging satellites. So when we started, we started with analyzing different types of satellite imagery. But the underlying problem we realized was all of the imagery that was being beamed on was invisible to a whole bunch of problems. But there was a technology called hyperspectral imaging that enabled us to see things that today's satellites could not. For example, identifying crop diseases or looking at natural gas leaks and things like that. Um, so what we build are earth imaging satellites that essentially have cameras on them uh, that will blanket the earth and take images of the entire globe every day once it's fully deployed. Um, so to just summarize that, we're building a constellation of hyperspectral earth imaging satellites. What got you interested in uh, satellites and space tech? Tell us a little bit about how you started Pixel. So I think it uh, leads from when I was a kid, right? I always loved space. My dad used to get me these encyclopedias and books about space. And it always fascinated me since then. I used to seriously Google and read about how to be an astronaut, you know, what are the different uh, specializations that would get you there and things like that. Uh, But when I joined BITS for my undergraduate studies, uh, that's when a couple of experiences led to Pixel specifically. One was being a part of the student satellite team at BITS, where we were working with the Indian Space Research Organization, their scientists, uh, under their student satellite program. So my love for space had an outlet where I could build some hardware that could actually go to space and work. So learning how you need to think differently in terms of manufacturing for space, uh, that was a good experience. Uh, but then the second experience was being a founding team member and engineering lead at Hyperloop India. Um, so when Elon Musk resurfaced this idea around 2014, 2015, uh, SpaceX said that they have a one mile long vacuum tube at their headquarters in Los Angeles uh, and it was an open challenge to around the world to build a pod uh, or a vehicle that could travel at really fast speeds within that tube. Um, So we were the only Indian team that was selected. We managed to manufacture India's first working pod prototype. We took it to LA, we presented to 
Don and the rest of the team. Uh, but while we were there, they took us on a tour of the SpaceX factory. So I was looking at the rocket engines that were being built that would actually go to space. Um, I was looking at the Falcon 9 booster that had landed back from space. Looking at all that, that is when it crystallized in my mind that space tech is the sector for me to be in. It's always been something of a passion and love for me, but uh, I would rather not work in any other sector and this is where I would want to devote my life to. So that was when I think it crystallized. I came back and I started reading up as much as I could about space, um, what others were doing, what were the next steps where I could contribute. And that is essentially what led to Pixel. So I think it was always there, but a couple of these experiences uh, in college uh, crystallized that uh, uh, passion and love. And you and Pippin were in college together, were you? And also at Hyperloop. That's correct, yeah. Gushay Desh, my co-founder and myself, we studied together. We used to play video games, that's how we knew each other. Uh, and over one of those sessions is when I pitched the idea of Pixel to him and had, I had him come on board. Okay. And uh, you... Uh, when you start off, you spoke about uh, uh, something called hyperspectral uh, imaging. So, so tell us a little bit about what you mean by hyperspectral uh, imaging, and how is it different from conventional, you know, taking pictures from space. So uh, here's how we can look at imaging from space. There's three different types. There's RGB imaging, there's multi-spectral imaging, and then there's hyperspectral imaging. So RGB is your normal phone camera images, uh, what we're seeing on the screens right now or what we can see from our eyes. It's information in red, green and blue channels. So that's RG and B. RGB is so information in three channels. That's what normal images are. Um, and then you have multispectral where you have RG and B but also a few in the infrared range that enable you to see more. An example of this would be say the night vision goggles that the army uses, right? Um, when they're able to see in the night the heat signatures, that's the infrared bands that are coming into picture. So the information mm -hmm. channels are increasing from 3 in RGNB to about 10 in multispectral. And these are the kinds of satellites that are up there today, uh, if you want to get imagery from space. Hyperspectral is information in hundreds of these channels, in the entire visible red, green, blue, uh, the entire VIPQR range as well as in the infrared range. So it enables you to essentially see in hundreds of information channels rather than mm -hmm. just 3 or 10. Uh, so that's what separates it. If I were to look at it from a use case perspective, take agriculture. If I were looking at an agricultural land from an RGB image, I can only distinguish between farmland and cities. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. what you can do normalize. That makes sense. If I were to use multispectral data that was available, uh, I could go one step beyond and identify health status of the crops. Uh, how are they doing? Uh, are they good, bad, average? But I couldn't identify anything else about it. I couldn't know which crop I'm looking at. I wouldn't know soil parameters. That's where hyperspectral comes into the picture. It tells you firstly what the soil conditions are, what the humidity, moisture contents are, what crop species are you looking at, whether there's a particular type of crop disease or pest infestation. And this applies mm -hmm. across sectors, which includes, for example, pollution gas monitoring, identifying which specific gas is being polluted and things like that. Uh, so I think that's what mm -hmm. hyperspectral that enables you to see in a whole bunch of different light bands uh, and enables you to see invisible problems that are uh, not possible with today's satellites. So that is, I guess, the, the attraction of uh, hyperspectral imaging versus what is being done today. Uh, but uh, I may be wrong, but a little bit of homework I tried to do on your work, uh, I got the sense that it has been tougher uh, to do uh, hyperspectral uh, imaging and uh, uh, commercially uh, businesses still sort of prefer the more conventional methods and so on. So tell us about the core technologies you're building to change this, to make it more easy for your customers to use hyperspectral imaging. 
So, the hyperspectral imaging has been something that's proven from space thanks to NASA satellites and other European Space Agency satellites. But the data and the technology has only been limited to either governments or intelligence slash defense agencies. So, for any use it academically or commercially for any other purpose, it was not possible. That's what we are trying to pitch. Um, what was the issue till date was there's three different components you look at when you talk about hyperspectral cameras. You have the optics to it, you have the sensor. Uh, and you have the electronics that support the readout, etc. And if you were looking at building the satellite and the camera of the size and volume we are looking at today, that would not have been possible even two years ago. And that's because mm -hmm. there's multiple different convergences in technology that have happened. Firstly, a miniaturization in sensor tech. The smaller you can have each of these, uh, you know, pixel pitches, the more granular and high quality your data can be. And uh, by thanks to Moore's law, the smaller your electronics get, the smaller your optics get, you're essentially able to keep this very compact, keep this low cost as well, since larger you try to make it, the cost increases, as well as the larger you have, the launch cost also increases. Um, so what we have essentially looked at is we looked at building this hyperspectral camera from scratch. How do we look at the optics from where the light enters? How do we look at the sensor where light is captured? And how do we look at the electronics where it's read out? Um, and when you put it together from first principles, looking at what has been the cutting edge in each of these, uh, and you put that together is why we are able to do this today that it would not have possible for us or anyone else to do even two years ago. Um, so just taking on top of what's been done by governments and agencies and making it very low power, making it uh, low cost, making it uh, low volume without compromising on quality, in fact increasing on quality and that's because just technologies have been getting better. But the second aspect to that is how do you build a satellite that can you know cater to this payload? It's still power hungry, it's still captures a lot of data since it's hundreds of bands. How do you build a satellite that is optimized for this, uh, to be able to store this data, beamed up this data to Earth? Um, but the core text that we have built essentially, how do you build this satellite as well as how do you build this camera? Uh, and then uh, the third aspect is the software because it's not enough if we give this data to customers. They need to have mm -hmm. the tools analyze uh, this data or extract insights from this data. So the platform mm -hmm. will be where they will interact with the data as well as the tools. If they want to clean it, they can just select what cleaning they want to do and our backend does the rest uh, and things like mm -hmm. that. So those are the core technologies that we have built in-house. Mm -hmm. So the what software part of it, is it something that your customers need to install uh, at, at their end or can they access it like a cloud computing model? How does that they, they just need to log in on the website uh, and it's on cloud. They can do it from anywhere as long as they have the login credentials. It's like software as a service. They log in, uh, they're able to see a map, they select which area they want to you know, buy data from or analyze uh, and then uh, they're able to sort of be, sort of like Google Earth but with added capability. So I guess is that, that also uh, uh, feeds into how you uh, make your revenues. I mean, do you... Will they subscribe to your imaging data or will they buy it? And, will, and I, I imagine they'll subscribe to the use of software. That's correct. So contracts usually work for multi years, but how it would work is say, for example, an agri company wants to monitor a particular area of land. They go to the platform, they draw a square around the area that they want monitored and they select that they want it monitored on a weekly basis. Uh, and this is the kind of inputs they're looking at. Once they input all that on a weekly basis, data or information or insights are sent to them or alerts are sent to them on the platform itself that they're able to input into their models or, you know, uh, make decisions on the basis of. Um, uh, so the, it is a subscription-based thing, but contracts are usually signed for multi-years. Uh, every month, they pay for the amount of data that they've used and downloaded. You mentioned agriculture, which are some of the other areas where uh, this can be used. 
So agriculture is a big one. Then you have the oil and gas sector. So when you're looking at oil leakages from underground pipelines or natural gas leakages, they cause a lot of harm to the environment. And there's a lot of regulatory fines that these companies can incur if they do that. So monitoring these pipelines and assets is another. Uh, climate change monitoring, which includes greenhouse gases monitoring, you know, who is emitting these greenhouse gases, be it carbon dioxide, be it methane, uh, and where are they coming from? What is the concentration? Uh, forestry is another big use case where we're able to look at forest biodiversity, whether a particular area of a forest is more susceptible to fires or not, as well as um, uh, things on environment side, you know, water health, uh, air health, uh, things like that. So I think these would be the main sectors uh, where our uh, customers slash users will be. Hmm. So what is the stage at which you are? I mean, I understand uh, most recently there was a small software glitch because you had because of which you had to call off the launch. So your first satellite launch is how imminent? So uh, the first satellite has been built and has been tested now. So it was it it had almost finished testing in February when we were supposed to launch, but a day before we were supposed to ship it to the launch site, a software issue popped up, and we decided not to risk it and rush it and you know just do it regardless of that error. Uh, but since then it has been solved and we have done two more rounds of testing. So the first satellite has been built. It has been tested on ground, including in Israel facilities. So we're just waiting for it to launch uh, later this year. And there's a second satellite that we are in the process of building as well that will go up in December of this year. So there's two satellites, one already built, the second one being built that will launch this year. Um, and uh, there's two other cameras that we're building as well, which are higher quality than the ones that go on the first two. So satellite with satellite one with camera one, satellite two with camera two, and then two other cameras, which would be a better versions of the previous ones. And on the whole, uh, you expect to build a constellation of some 30 satellites? That's right. So uh, we plan to launch at least eight more next year. Uh, and then we will uh, launch 22 more, hopefully by 2023. And the reason for that number is we want to be able to provide global coverage every 24 hours. So if I'm looking at Bangalore today, the next image will be 24 hours later. That way I'm able to track the changes happening on a daily scale rather than weekly or monthly. Uh, so that's why the number 30. Uh, so after these two satellites, uh, we plan to deploy them over the course of the next uh, two years. So global coverage means you could have customers all over the world. That's correct, yes. We already, even before we started our venture into manufacturing satellites, we talked to some customers who were using satellite imagery in one form or the other. And we asked them upfront, hey, if you were able to provide you with this new type of imaging, which is hyperspectral data, will you pay for it? How much will you pay for it? What is the quality of data you're looking at? What is the methodology of data delivery you're looking at? Which gave us information in terms of how to design our camera and what quality to aim for as well as how to build our platform in which they'll interact with us. So um, uh, that's something that we began from uh, day one. And even today, we have uh, clients that are interested in buying data in North America, in Europe, uh, in India. And we're already working with uh, a couple of them on uh, small-scale pilots before satellite imagery can be brought. You've also raised some funding. Uh, can you talk to us about that? And how are you using uh, that money essentially to build the satellites and launch them? Yeah, so the first round of money we raised was uh, in uh, early 2019 when we were still studying and that predominantly came from angel investors from our own university, alumnus, alumnus of our university uh, and one uh, institutional venture capital firm that came in after all these people came in called GrowX Ventures. So that took quite some time to happen. Uh, you know, we were talking to a lot of venture capital firms. Uh, everyone was interested in talking to us because space tech is interesting, but no one was willing to put the money where the mouth is. 
um what happened was there was a bitsian event that was happening in silicon valley where the alumnus of our university came together so we i, I took travel all the way to sf to pitch to them there and a few of them thought that what we were doing was interesting so they came on board on the basis of which we were able to put our uh, uh, seed round of about 5 crore rupees together then uh, from that we started manufacturing our first satellite because we needed to know that hardware needs to be built uh, and then very recently we closed our seed round of about 7.3 million dollars in total from lightspeed textas and others um, and uh, that also took quite some time in fact in march of 2020 about an year from now we had almost closed our first round uh, of about 3.5 million but then covid and lockdowns hit uh, so some of our investors got cold feet and they backed out uh, and the round and the round fell apart uh, so we had to go back to new investors and talk to them all during lockdown uh, all remotely uh, all the uh, meetings with the, the the firms happened remotely but we were able to convert that 3.5 into a 5 million dollar round then and then 2 million dollar more later uh, so i think it was uh, sort of a silver lining um, but what we are using those funds for essentially is predominantly uh, research and development on the satellites and the camera uh, as i mentioned this two satellites that we will build with this money as well as two more cameras which will be better versions uh, and develop the platform uh, so these this is where predominantly the money is going apart from uh, you know the general operations of the company is it difficult in india to find uh, money for technologically very very hard problems for entrepreneurs i guess e-commerce is more easily funded <laughs> it has been yeah i think we have seen it has become easier and easier uh, since 2019 so we started talking to them in 2018 where it was really horrible uh, firstly it was a hardware company which was a risky in its own uh, stead and then you add space hardware to that and the risk blows off the charts and then you say that it's two college students that are doing it and people don't really want to put money in uh, but 20 20- 19 and 2020 it got a little bit better because more and more seed early funds were looking at coming in and trying to differentiate themselves and there were success mm-hmm. stories internationally that they could look at and say okay this succeeded there's no reason why it shouldn't here as well um and uh, seeing others also sort of put money and space tech getting more and more money globally i think uh, almost everyone now has perked up their ears for space tech or even generally hardware it's still much easier to get funded for a software company because the bar for a hardware company is much higher but uh, it's uh, like no complaint it's better than you, it's better than it was 2 years ago mm. Like a lot of things are changing globally, and 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 like your satellite constellations, uh, this idea of uh, putting satellites in the so-called low Earth orbits seems to be really attractive to many. I mean, there are very big companies like Amazon, SpaceX, and OneWeb all putting up or looking to put up thousands upon thousands of satellites. So, what is the attraction of these uh, low Earth orbits? And tell us about the distances involved. So low Earth orbit could be anything from about 350 kilometers to you know 800 900 kilometers, but most likely when people talk about low Earth orbit, they talk about 400 to 700 kilometers or 800 kilometers at the maximum. And the reason why it's lucrative is because it's very close to Earth, um, and the closer you are to Earth, the less power you have to spend on your communication system, your radios, your antennas, uh, mm-hmm. right? farther you go the bigger they need to be the more power hungry they need to be which means larger your satellites need to be but if you are in the lower orbit you can keep your satellites small you can keep your radios and antennas small and still be able to beam down in a larger rate um, which is why when spacex is wanting to launch the starlink satellites uh, they launch thousands of these to blanket the earth and they communicate between themselves rather than doing three or four geostationary satellites across the world that still gives them global coverage but it's not going to be enough of a bandwidth to be able to do internet 
uh, to increase that communication bandwidth people are trying to do it in the low earth orbit and especially if you look at earth observation satellites you need to be as close to earth as possible to get as high a quality um, but there's mm-hmm. a trade off between the life of your satellite and how close it is the closer you are the lesser your lifetime becomes due to atmospheric friction and what not um, mm-hmm. which is by like 500 to 600 becomes sort of the trade off orbit where earth observation satellites usually go where the lifetime can be 5 to 7 to 8 years uh, as well as you are not compromising on communication quality or imaging quality so that's why uh, lower earth orbit has uh, that special attraction to it give us a sense of uh, how things like uh, reducing cost to space taking satellites uh, is helping companies like you 1 kg of payload today what can it do that was not possible 10 years ago and what does it cost today versus 10 years ago Yeah, I think 10 years ago, launching a kilogram would have costed uh, $50,000 US dollars versus today you can do it at $5,000 US dollars. So there's a magnitude uh, of change that's happened, which means that more and more people can launch more and more satellites at much cheaper than they would have then, right? Um, hmm. So $50,000 to $5,000 today um, is a significant cost reduction for a university or a student or a research lab to be able to put something up there. And in terms of what can be done with a kilogram, uh, again, it, it ties back itself into Moore's law and technological advancements where you can have components that do better and better stuff in smaller and smaller size and lower and lower power. These would include radios, these could include antennas, uh, these could include cameras. So Earth observation satellites are still limited by the physics of the optics. Your optics need to be of certain volume and size for you to get good quality light and good quality imagery. But uh, if you're looking at just communication satellites, a whole bunch of these IoT satellites are being launched and if you're launching IoT satellites uh, a 1 kg satellite is good enough for you to be able to communicate with something like a phone or another object on earth so um, a lot of capability has definitely increased thanks to you know the convergence of miniaturization of tech um, and the price has come down by an order of magnitude at least hmm. so two last questions the first one is uh, uh, what is what has changed uh, today or is changing today in the indian space tech ecosystem which is helping companies like pixel to grow uh, and also can you talk about what is missing so i think the first thing that's changed is that the government itself has taken interest in making sure that the space is privatized and space private space companies take off which is a stark difference from even 2019 when we started uh, there was no space policy or framework in place like we could have built a satellite but then there was no way for us to get the necessary licenses to put them up in uh, space and without necessary licenses no rocket would take you up to space from a relevant country um, what happened, what changed in 2020 was the finance minister announced that they are privatizing space and they would come up with these policies that make it easy and in fact when the draft policies came out communication policy or remote sensing policy they were quite liberal uh, compared to even you know the largest space faring nations in the world which is a really good thing the lesser roadblocks we have the more innovation can come up and faster we can catch up to everyone else that sort of doing it um and uh, there's support now from the government we became the first company uh, till date in india to which isro opened up the access of its testing facilities for the satellite we tested our satellite at isro satellite center in in february um and they had not done that before which means that we saved crores of rupees that would have cost us to set up that facility as well as months of time it would have costed us to you know like figure out how to do those tests versus they were ready there to help us out um as well as isro isro has a workhorse of the rocket that has been launching multiple satellites it makes it easy for someone like us that we are manufacturing it here and that we launch it here from uh, well so that support i think has been the critical change that 
लेकिन 2019 no one really cared that private companies what they're doing versus in 2020 and now it's become a priority that the private space sector should take off which means they are aligned to helping them grow what is still lacking is a lack of early stage funding for these startups space tech startups are different in the sense that they require a lot of capital to even get started so availability of large amounts of grants uh, as well as something like a sovereign fund uh, where the government invests in risky technologies which are critical to the nation's technology goals um, because they are the only ones that have the appetite for this risk compared to say other investors who are looking at returns right so that is the only thing i would say is lacking today um, but otherwise uh, things are much much better than they were 2 years ago and uh, it's just the beginning uh, if this continues uh, we will see a lot many more startups come up what are the next big steps at uh, pixel over the coming years i understand in the long run you are also interested in deep space exploration uh, but in general what are the next big steps the next big steps are uh, deploy our constellation as soon as possible ideally by mid 2023 to build a health monitor for the planet uh, this data will enable us to you know get the pulse of the planet how health is changing and agri in oil and gas health so that's the singular focus for the next 3 to 5 years that we will get down the best imagery that's been possible till date and analyze that to you know make the world a better place after that as you mentioned we have deep space plans when we started in fact I started with research on asteroid mining, you know, because if humanity were to expand towards space uh, and you're building space hotels or infrastructure in space, you need material to be able to do that, and you can't take that material from Earth. One, because it's going to pollute the Earth more, which beats the entire purpose, and secondly, it's going to be very expensive to take it from here to there. Versus, if you're able to leverage the immense amounts of material that's there in asteroids, for example, you can build that, uh, and which means that. we needed to first identify which of these asteroids or objects had minerals what their trajectories were for us to then go and mine them so the step by step plan for us is step 2 use the same imaging technology and the satellite technology we have to send out scouting missions in the solar system to say send it in the asteroid belt and map where asteroids are present and what the minerals are or even any other planetary body uh, because we are able to do it at a much cheaper rate so that we want to democratize faster access to the solar system uh, so that when larger probes or missions are sent they at least have some information beforehand uh, to know where they need to send it to um, and step 3 essentially is once we know which of these asteroids are precious uh, we can go ahead and extract mineral from that now i'm talking you know decades down the line since it till it becomes cheaper and economically viable but yeah that's the step by step plan uh, sort of there uh, so in the next 5 years focus on earth imaging after that focus on mapping the solar system and then maybe 10 15 20 years down the line extract materials to build in space So that was uh, Avay Samad, uh, an avant-garde entrepreneur uh, in a very hard, technologically hard uh, area that's changing the face of space tech in India. Uh, thank you for uh, you know uh, viewing us, listening to us. Uh, do share us and support us. That helps us keep going. Be safe. See you next week. Thank you.